Mac Power Users, Episode 68, Workflows with Rod Roddenberry. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. We want to thank Smile Software for exclusively sponsoring this episode of Mac Power Users. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. How are you, David? Excellent. I'm happy to be in 2012. Very happy to be in 2012. And David, I'm, I'm fighting off a little bit of a cold, so I apologize to our listeners if I don't quite sound the same, but I would not miss this episode because I am so thrilled to have Rod Roddenberry uh, on the show. It just kind of gives me shivers a little bit, Rod. So welcome. <laughs> oh, thank you guys. Thank you. You know, Rod, I want to tell you right off the bat, and I know you, you get told this an awful lot, but your father, your father is obviously uh, Gene Roddenberry, uh, creator of Star Trek and someone who has had a very powerful impact on my life, as well as lives of millions, if not billions of, of other people around the world. And um, I'm, I'm sure that I would not be doing what I'm doing today in this technology-related field had it not been for him and the impact that his vision had on my life, which brings us a little bit to our first topic. And I know you recently explored that in a, a new documentary that is, that is currently uh, in circulation. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, I started a documentary about, uh, uh, God, almost 10 years ago now. And I'll get into why 10 years and how it's taken so long in just a little bit. And in fact, I shouldn't say I. Um, I, I started with a, a gentleman from the New York, uh, Scott Colthorpe, who runs Atmosphere Pictures. Um, I, I had been indirectly inspired by uh, another documentary that came out around then called Trekkies, which showed the, the extreme sides of fandom. I think it poked fun a little bit, took all the extreme circumstances of fans and, and sort of put it out there and said, kind of look at these nut jobs. Well, my experience to that point had been um, quite the opposite. Uh, I had met, you know, doctors, lawyers, teachers, celebrities, politicians, you name it, uh, who all had um, uh, an admiration for Star Trek and had in some way been influenced by it. So I wanted to do the, the opposite documentary about how fans come from all walks of life, um, have all different beliefs, have come at all different ethnicities, uh, religious points of view, political points of view, etc., and, and show this side of Star Trek fandom and how it's influenced people in a positive way. Um, this gentleman from New York, I, I met him, and he was doing spots for uh, TNN, which was a TV station at the time. And in between the episodes of Star Trek, they would show the Star Trek actors, and they weren't just trying to sell uh, the series. They were actually trying to talk about the philosophy of Trek. Long story short, we got together. He really brought in the son searching to understand his father angle, and I really pushed for the, the fan side, and our, our two uh, ideas kind of melded together over the years. So I should probably tell everyone what this documentary is about before I go into the guts of how it was created. Um, sure. it, it, in a nutshell, it's a son searching to understand his father. Uh, of course, I'm the son. Gene Roddenberry is my father. And he passed away when I was 17. So, I mean, it wasn't so young, but it was definitely too young to really get to know him as a man. Um, and so uh, I, I had this, this opportunity to, to learn about him through fans, friends, family. And that's essentially the journey I go on is to kind of find the man behind the myth to a degree and, and find out who he really was, his, his uh, warts and all, as he would say. And um, it, it's 
taken 10 years, to be honest, because I've never done a documentary and I, I kind of didn't know what I was doing. We also spent a number of the first uh, four plus years just sort of meeting every few months doing interviews and, and not really, you know, working on it day in and day out. So it was, it was sort of a side project for a long time and then um, evolved. And finally, we made a deal with the Science Channel and uh, they helped reshape it into what you see today. And in fact, it, it first aired November 30th and it's actually going to air again tonight. Which, and as, oh, we, wait. as we record this, it's uh, December 28th. Right. Well, actually, this show will come out. It'll already have aired. Yes. So you'll have to search on TiVo for it. Yes, please search check on TiVo. Check your local listings. Yes, check your local listings. And, and I, I'd say sometime in the next year or so, we should have a DVD available as well. Yeah, and we're, and we're tweeting it out and putting it out on our blogs and whatnot so the listeners will know to, to listen to it. So hopefully, by the time they've listened to this show, they've already seen it. And I can say, having watched it last night, it really... um. It really touched me, frankly. My my father passed away while I was in school as well. And uh, I feel the same as you in a lot of ways. Just as I was coming into manhood and able to connect with him on a different level, you know, he passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, just just a year ago, I bumped into a person who did business with my dad, and I, was, I couldn't get enough information out of him. Mm-hmm. Just about, you know, what did he drink when you went out, right. you know, and... And just silly things like that. And I really identified with you in that, in that documentary. I know you were saying that was, I guess, your partner's kind of focus of the show. But, boy, it really touched me. I thought it was a good show. And I, I'm a Trekkie, too. Probably not as much as Katie. But um, I thought this documentary is well worth the time. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've really got to give credit to uh, New Animal Productions. who They're the ones who really took what we had come up with. And reshaped it into what you're seeing. So they're the ones that really brought out. And it was important to me to do a few things. I, I, it wasn't just to cater to pre-existing Star Trek fans. Really wanted there to be a father-son story that uh, even father-daughter or father-son of any sort could could connect with. And and to hear that from you uh, means a great deal to me. Um, I, I really wanted to also humanize my father. Which was, I, I, I wanted to find out the truths. It wasn't about digging up dirt on him. I mean, I just wanted to... F- I, I had spent my whole life with many fans calling him the great bird of the galaxy. Um, my mother protected him with her life. Um, even to me, wouldn't even tell me the truth about things. And so I really wanted to find out the truth about the man. And you know what it did in the end? Is it, it allowed me to, to love him more. Because when people paint this person, uh, your father or anyone as a Greek god, it's really difficult to identify, to connect with that person, especially as a son, let alone just a, a fan or admirer. And when you start learning that the person was human, I mean, that's obvious, but you know what I mean? Once he's humanized, I was able to connect uh, personally. And I was hoping that the fans, and I am hoping that the fans and people who just see it can connect with the man. Uh, not Gene Roddenberry, the, the, the visionary, the creator of Star Trek, but just the plain man, Gene Roddenberry. So, Well, it, it was remarkable to me. I met you last year at Macworld. And it's funny because there's this whole Star Wars versus Star Trek thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you you told me that, yeah, when you were growing up, you had Star Wars birthday cakes. I mean, your dad didn't care about that. He liked both of them, you know. And Yeah, he did. I always wonder, though, what was going through his mind because when at a young age, five, six, however old I was, you know, I, I had no concept of Star Trek. You know, even even if I knew at the time my father created or worked on it, that didn't mean anything to me. And I loved Star Wars. So I always yeah. kind of wonder what he was thinking when I had my R2-D2 birthday cakes and all that. 
<laughs> well, well, you're yeah, my guess is you're you're probably my age. You're thirty something ish. Thirty seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah, grew up after the original series was canceled, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and I I grew up knowing the original series through syndication. You know, even as I, I guess I'm a little younger than you, but even knowing it through, um, uh, you know, it was on in the afternoons. I think at four, five, six o'clock when I came home from school, the original series was on, and then you know, as I was in late. Yeah, probably high school was when the next generation started coming on the air, and then of course Deep Space Nine and Voyager. But um, yeah, so I miss the whole original Star Trek of the of the sixties. Right, right, but, yeah, and and you know I'm a product of the next generation, quite literally, and and that's I love the original, but Next Gen is definitely my series. Um, and we we are going to talk about Mac stuff in a minute, but just <laughs> yes, since we're yes. here, I, I got to say I, I never connected with the original Star Trek for some reason, uh-huh. and it, it, part of it's my age because I was too young for the original. But when I was in law school, the Next Generation had just started in syndication. They were still making it, but it was also in syndication. And I remember every night at seven o'clock, I'd you know you know in law school you make your your turkey sandwich or whatever, and I'd sit down and I'd watch that show for an hour. Wow, and you know, my hand that got that got me through law school because it was just such a nice break to go. And it was just such a good show and it was uplifting and it really turned me into a, a Trekkie at that point. So I watched the whole next generation show from beginning to end. That's awesome. Yeah. I've seen, and, I've uh, definitely seen but, all of those too. And I'm sure you've probably heard that every person you talk to, you hear stories like that. Well, and I, and I love hearing those stories. Um, it, it, I never get bored or w- bothered by them at all because they, they, each one brings me that much closer to my father and understanding who he is. And, you know, like I was saying, with all the good and the bad that I learned, and, and you know, it, it, I don't want to make it sound like there's tons of bad. He was a human being. He was flawed. He made mistakes. Um, but it, it was through all of these things I'm out, able to sort of uh, focus down and, and, and kind of shape uh, the man that Gene Roddenberry was, because you know you get extremes at both sides, and then somewhere in the middle you find the find the real man, and and that's uh it, it's important to me to hear those stories. Yeah, well, it, it is a an outstanding show. It's called Trek Nation, and you know it's, it's similar to Apple, where they have these documentaries they make about Apple geeks too, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. They go out and find the nuttiest people, and they give them a bunch of screen time. And it's not really a fair representation of the community, right. not at all. Sensationalize. And, yeah, oh, that, and, that side. They made a couple of those a few years ago. And and I felt like uh, Trek Nation, in addition to showing your journey with your dad, really did a great job of showing the impact of Star Trek on the world. And, you know, the, all the, the barriers they broke and all mm-hmm. the things they changed. And it, it really gave me a lot more appreciation for it. And Wait, we got to David. sit down with George Lucas, which was phenomenal. Sorry I didn't interrupt. But uh, no, that, I thought that was very cool. Yeah, that was definitely one of the most exciting interviews we had to to sit down with him and ask, as I say in it, the, the father of Star Wars about the father of Star Trek and things. You know, we had we had so many amazing interviews. I, I'd say only five percent of everything we interviewed made it into this documentary. Uh, there's so much great stuff, and of course, George Lucas. I don't think it was in there, but said great things like Star Wars stood on the shoulder of Star Trek. He was so humble, so complimentary. Uh, he didn't seem to be just be doing it to be nice. Um, he initially came in and said, "Okay, I only got twenty minutes." You know, we yeah, we got to get through this. And he ended up staying about 45 minutes with us um, because it was just a great dialogue that we had back and forth. And, of course, as you saw, he, he did at least address the question of uh, what would the could the Millennium Falcon fight the Enterprise? <laughs> oh, the Enterprise would totally kick the Millennium Falcon. 
We could start a little uh, flaming war on on the site. Yeah, we, I, we, we could. We better stay away. From yeah, that. yeah. You really, you really can't diss the Millennium Falcon to me. I just gotta say. <laughs> well, you, could, you, you know, could do Han Solo or Kirk. You know, that's I, I'm torn. Oh, that I'm would torn. that would that would be a tough throwdown. That yeah. would be. But David, I gotta say, I I think you would look great at a Star Trek convention with some ears. Yeah, and you know some little Vulcan ears, and we put I, in a blue shirt. They're already shirt. pretty pointy. I don't think I need any help I, there. Yeah, and we'll, you should we'll come to your eyebrows a little bit. It'd be yeah. perfect. I think you would make a great Vulcan. I think you should come to Backworld in costume. There we go. I would pay money. <laughs> so, uh, Rod, I want to I want to shift gears just slightly and and stay on the topic of the documentary a little bit. But can you tell us from a technical standpoint because a, a lot of the people that you know, listen to these workflow shows, want to know, um, you know, a little bit from the Mac aspect, a little bit about the type of gear that you use and a little of the process. Um, can you tell us a little bit from a technical standpoint, how this, this documentary came to be? And did, did you have much involvement in using some of your Mac gear in that or from the, from the business end of that? Yeah, I, I got nervous because this is a workflow show and, and I, I'm like, I keep looking at what my workflow is. And, and if there is a workflow called chaos, that might be my workflow. Um, but, uh, to answer your question, Macs were, were highly involved in the sense that I always had my notes in, on my laptop, on my lap, or just off to the side. A lot of the interviews we have that, that cut back to me, um, I I don't think it made it into the cuts, but they actually, I've got my laptop with me. Uh, we did a great, we really tried to push Apple too, because we think if the enterprise had computers, they would have all built, been built by Apple. So I'm convinced that the enterprise is, you know sort of got the, the Apple uh, uh, technology well, within it. We know Scotty used a Mac. We do. He did. Not correctly, <laughs> but yes, he did. Yeah, well, he was just waiting for Siri. He was a few, few exactly. years too early. That's right. Um, <laughs> and so we had an, uh, another amazing interview, though. We uh, interviewed uh, Bob Letterman, who was one of the editors on uh, many of the Star Trek television series incarnations. And um, he, he did the whole thing um, on a Mac. Uh, on, I, I can't remember what the machine was at the time, but, uh, forgive me. It must've been a final cut, but I believe they were editing the entire show on it. And this was back during enterprise, but he said that they had used Mac for years and it was all part of the interview and it was, it was fantastic. I'll, hopefully we can have a little bit of that on the, on the DVD extras. Yeah. I mean, with all that extra content, I, I really hope I'd like to hear some of that mm-hmm. stuff. Oh, and, and I guess to answer your question a little bit more, um, the initial phases of the editing process were all done on uh, Final Cut and Macintosh computers. So I, I, I don't let PCs into my life. Um, they're just too complicated, too hard. To, there's enough going on in my life. Macs, I know Macs. They make everything at least user-friendly, and I, I'm very, very loyal to them. Yeah, and you extended a Macworld last year. Yes. And you're a Mac guy. I mean, so you've got a – what hardware do you carry currently? Uh, you know, I, I have to say I'm on, I'm on the edge of transitioning. I, I was always a MacBook Pro guy, and I have been for, I don't know, however, however long they've been out. Um, and uh, this, this – I got a 13-inch MacBook Air, and I got to tell you, it's not bad. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not editing films on it or anything, so I don't need the the, the super high end uh, processor speeds. But with the um, SSD drives and and the speed that it does have, it's really great for almost. I was even doing some Photoshop stuff in it. Yeah, it's pretty nice. And uh, the rumor is I'll have a 15 inch one next year. 
That's so that'll really fill the line out with these these thin Macs. I use a 13 inch MacBook Air too, and I love. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Dave and I both have 13 inch MacBook Airs, and they have the. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to try to be a little bit of a geek here, but they have the Sandy Bridge processor. The newer ones do. Mine, mine doesn't. But okay, yeah, the newer ones do. And then the Ivy Bridge, I hear, might be in the next ones. Which that's the hope. To be honest, I only know those buzzwords. I don't really know what they mean. I'm assuming <laughs> it's a whole lot faster. Like difference between two core and four core or something like that. Yeah. Just more gas in the tank, I think. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. And and uh, iPhones, I, I think I saw you with an iPhone at Macworld. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. You saw me iPhones, probably iPads. at my, my lowest point with an iPhone. I had gotten, I had just jailbroken my iPhone, what, 4 or whatever it was, or 3S or 3GS. And uh, for some reason, I had loaded on, I didn't know it. There was some sort of program that I was using that constantly kept crashing my phone, and it was tethered. It was a tethered jailbreak. So I constantly, it was constantly crashing. I'd constantly have to bring it back to my computer. So I, I, I wasn't kind to it, but I love my iPhone 4S for sure. Well, the Siri thing kind of reminds me of Star Trek, really. You just talk and the computer talks back to you and helps you out. Yeah, we're definitely in the early stages of Siri as, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not, I guess I'm sold on the concept that it'll eventually be great, but Siri is not, uh, it's not something I use daily every time i just tried it like yesterday and i god what was i asking something fairly bizarre but it understood all of my words and said sorry i don't understand blah 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 and then it just ended i was like okay then can you look it up (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm pretty happy with siri except the downtime it feels to me like it's got too often am I, you know, dictating to siri and finding that it's just not connecting for one reason or another yeah but it's also new, and I suspect that there's no way to really plan for the kind of load they're putting on those servers, except just to put it out there sure. and see what breaks. Sure. And, uh, and it, they say the it's next, beta, right? It's still beta. Yeah. And I think the next year is really going to be telling. If they can get their act together, it needs to happen pretty soon. For the iPhone 5? Or just Siri on the iPhone 4S. I mean, in the next six months, I mean, they there shouldn't be the kinds of downtime. You know, this the dictation on Siri is really nice, even mm-hmm. if you're not using Siri to answer questions for you. But if you're just in a text field and you want to return an email and you hit the little microphone button and you dictate text and then it types it in using presumably the Dragon engine. Right. Uh, that works really great. But sometimes you'll dictate three or four sentences and it just won't do it. Right. The little dot will blot, you know, will blink, and then nothing will happen. And just a few times, if that happens, just a few times, you get frustrated and you don't do it anymore. Well, it's good, I guess, that they have it out there. Um, I, I don't know. I can't speak for every Mackle, uh, Mackle, Apple Mac enthusiast, but I'm, I'm kind of debating the whole: should they put beta stuff out there? I know they want to be the first on it. Except they weren't even the first, were they? A lot of the other phones no. had the voice recognition in terms of, you know, call David Sparks, call whoever, you know. Yeah, I I don't know either. It's 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 unusual for Apple to do beta, uh, but I can appreciate why they might need to with a service like this because there's really, to my knowledge, no way to simulate that kind of server load short of putting it out there. Right, right. And uh, I mean, and also for voice technology, uh, having more people ask questions is the only way to find out what people are going to ask and how to fix it. You know, so um, we'll see, I guess. Yeah. It's an interesting time in mobile space by far. It really is. It really is. Definitely excited by it. Rod, how did you you use an iPad too, right? Oh, yeah. I I mean, I wasn't going to list off everything, but yes, I've got an iPad. 
Um, and everyone in my business and at my house works on Macs. Uh, I, I just won't let a PC into the domain. It has no place here. I've tried it in the past, and it still didn't work. Let's take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor, Smile. And Smile has exclusively sponsored this first episode of Mac Power Users for 2012. And David, I want to tell you a story about how Smile software made a great Christmas present even better. Okay, let's um, hear it. So my uncle did a wonderful thing for my grandmother and my mother and her siblings this Christmas and that he went through and he scanned years and years and years worth of old family photos that had been uh, stored for years in slides because, you know, back in the day that's what people did is they took their old family snapshots and they put them on slides. And he must have spent dozens if not hundreds of hours scanning these photos, uh, tweaking them, and putting them ultimately into a DVD that he made using iDVD. And he handed them all out at Christmas, and when he handed them out, I, I, I gave him a really hard time because they were just these black jewel cases that had these, you know, plain silver CDs in them, and he had written, you know, volume one on the inside to note that this was the first of many volumes to come in this project that he was working on. So it's kind of like, you know, getting a really nice bottle of wine and putting it in a paper cup. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of something like that. Uh, so what I was able to go back and do, and I encouraged him to do the same. I told him all about Disc Label. Uh, I told him he could download it from smilesoftware.com or it was available in the Mac App Store, is you can take Disc Label and you can use it either with some of their predefined templates or you can pull in your drag and drop with your uh, photos from your iPhoto Fobel Atom or just photos that you have sitting in files and folders on your Mac. So he could have even used photos that he had used for this project. And you can create beautiful custom uh, jewel cases, labels for the top of the DVD, inserts for the jewel cases. I mean, you name it and disc label can do it. You can add writing, you can add descriptions, you can add additional information about this DVD package that you've just put together. And it really is just a very nice finishing touch for a project that obviously took many, many hours of his time. And, you know, just taking that last extra step with disc label is is a very small part of that. And the, the disc label that we ended up making and the CD jewel cases um, that I made after the fact for this DVD project probably took less than 15, 20 minutes total. Um, we got them printed, disc label, um, comes with a, a, a template aligner so that you can just put in the information that you have about the type of template that you're using and you can print out a test one so you don't end up uh, messing up your your multiple labels that you do. And because, you know, those, those labels are pretty expensive, so you don't want to run seven or eight different test prints on them. But um, if you want to get really fancy, you can also use Disk Label with a LightScribe drive. And those are one of those fancy drives uh, where you can just flip the disk over and then also burn and etch in the image on the actual CD or DVD media. But you do have to have uh, special hardware and special DVD media to do that, but that's fine. Disc Label will support that right out of the box. In fact, they've got some specialty designed LightScribe backgrounds that you can use as well. Uh, Disc Label is available from the Mac App Store. It's $35.95. Um, you can also download a free trial from smilesoftware.com or you can buy it from smilesoftware.com. And as with all their software, it has a 90 day money back guarantee. If you do buy it through the Mac App Store, and I have to admit that's where I buy most of my software these days, send them a note and tell them you heard about it from us. Yeah. So, thank you, Smile, uh, for your sponsorship of the Mac Power users, and we'll be hearing more about them later. You know, one thing we talked about in preparing for the show that I thought is kind of interesting is you rely on a program for the Mac called Daylight. Yes. And uh, Daylight is, we've never covered it on our show, but I've been aware of it. I know law, law firms that run their entire practice on Daylight. 
it's kind of a replacement for Microsoft Office Outlook kind of um, enterprise mm-hmm. solution, but it's Mac only. And it's an app that really it has a calendar and task management and email, and it combines all of that into one. And you can run a whole office on it, and, and you use it actively, correct? Yeah, and all the databases are shared, or it's one database that everyone shares. Um, it, it, it's it's a you can really do a lot with it. You can you can uh, lock up certain contacts so other people don't see it. You can have your own contacts. You can have business contacts. You can send contacts to each other. It's just um, very versatile in what you can do with it if you're running. I'd say anything from a small to large business. Yeah, well, so maybe daylight. maybe before you go into daylight, maybe let's take one step backwards. And can you kind of describe the structure of the business that you've you've set up and the problem that it solves for you, or maybe why you you switched to daylight versus some of the other products? Yeah, uh, it's it's not a it's not that clear. Um, even in my head, it's not that clear. I, I can just tell you that address book and and uh, iCal simply weren't doing it for me. It really was a matter of being able to share contacts and share calendars. And this was probably, what, four years ago when I was trying to do all this. And when you were trying to share, even though the calendars, you could kind of share calendars, but then people wouldn't be able to edit them. And there were, there were all the problems with .Mac syncing. Believe me, I just went through, I went through tons of that back then. I finally, I needed to find something and I just wasn't, I didn't really want to get into uh, Entourage at the time or, or the Microsoft um, option. So I did some exploring, found daylight, tried it for a while, and it seemed to really, really work out. The, the downside is, the downside is you get free address book, free iCal, comes with every Mac, and nowadays it does a lot more than it used to. Or you pay a lot of money um, for licenses to use daylight. That's that's the downside. But I think if you're getting into the business environment, if you sort of need sort of that, that, that business structure into your address book contacts and all that, then it's, it's worth the investment. Well, it's definitely more than the contacts or the iCal program. It's designed to run an office. Yep. And uh, you can run a whole team through this app. You can have shared calendars. Um, you can like shared tasks lists and you can save emails and contacts and everything to buy a project that's got a customer kind of support mechanism so you can keep track of leads. I mean, it does a lot more than what you get out of the basic address book. Yeah. And, and, then f- and frankly, can... I'm not a fan of the current iteration of address book on online anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fairly, it's user friendly too. I mean, it's really made for the Mac. It's made for the Apple. So if, if you know how to use the, the, the Mac iOS and you're familiar with that, you'll, you'll pick this up right away. Yeah. Rod, how did you make the transition into daylight? Is this just something that when you started your business, you were looking for a solution and you just started with all your documents in there? Or if someone is sitting out there right now with, you know, struggling with the built-in Apple apps or struggling with, with Entra or Outlook or another system, how, how do they make that transition over? Do you, can you describe that process? Uh, I can try. I can try because the answer is a little bit, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I actually started for home use. Uh, there's just so much going on in my life and so many different people involved in the household that, you know, I, I just wanted to have, you know, my wife or my girlfriend at the time and, and everyone kind of being able to share this stuff and, and communicate using the calendar and all that. Um, that was the main thing. Now, as far as getting into that, you do need to set up a database somewhere on a server. And I don't know if it's, I mean, mine's self-hosted, but I guess it could be hosted somewhere else. So this you, is like on a on a, either a Mac Mini or a Mac in your in your office somewhere, your home office that's just constantly running. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And then it gets. See, I'm not. 
I'm not a very good Mac IT person. You know, anything, <laughs> okay. you know, if Bonjour can't find it, then I, I'm pretty much lost. So I had to get help setting it up because, you know, you have to open up the firewall and ports and do certain things. And I don't want to scare anyone off. Uh, there's a lot of people that can help you do that sort of thing. But there, there are a few steps that are not for the faint at heart, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, there is a home user version that you can just download where you don't need to have this uh, database. But I think the idea is you want to share a database to be able to have other clients out there tap into it. And and you can manage who has access to what, like you can have access to everything and your wife can have access to most things. And then you can have an assistant who has limited access and then maybe consultants who come in for a limited period of time who have even more restricted access. Is that kind of, you're a hundred percent right. You're a hundred percent right. And I, and I, I, I want, I encourage people to check it out if they're interested in what they use now, isn't doing it for them. Uh, again, I want to reiterate that, that it, it does get costly. You know, each license you bring out is, is a hundred, hundred dollars or $99 or something like that. And so the more clients you start putting on this database, the more costly it can become. But I hate to say that's the price of doing business. Maybe. Well, if you do business well and it ultimately saves you time, time <laughs> yes, is money. Yes, it does. Yeah, believe yeah. me, I, I couldn't I couldn't survive without this. If you're yeah, out and there, there and you can't survive with a dress book mm-hmm. and iCal and you're you're willing to make the investment, I, I highly recommend this. Uh, a daylight from Market Circle. I don't even it's, work for them, but I'm selling them. All right. And it's interesting, you know, the pricing is relative. I mean a, a single license, I just looked it up as we're talking here, a one time purchase is two hundred and thirty dollars. And then you can buy bundles, you know, for instance, uh, if you had an office of, of 10 users, it's $2,600. So it's, yeah, well, it's, it's not cheap, but like Katie was saying, if you're running an office, you're going to have expenses. If you were to outfit your whole office with Microsoft um, Outlook and set up an exchange network, it would probably be actually quite a bit more than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daylight does a really good job of supporting um, the iOS devices. They have Daylight Touch which accesses the same database on your iPad and your iPod and your, I'm sorry, your iPod, iPod touch and your iPhone. And, um, I wrote about it in actually Mac at work cause I thought it was a good app. And they also have a really good billing program that ties right into it. So if you're selling time, um, it all works together quite well. The interesting piece of this for me really was, um, that you would choose daylight over a solution like Google documents. And I don't know how strong that was back four years ago, probably when you were trying to make this transition, but I think there is an interesting conversation to be had because if you're running an office or a small group of people, there are some very different solutions. I mean, you can go with Google um, online solutions, which are very cheap. Uh, You can go with a full on Microsoft exchange network, which gets you on multiple platforms or you can do something like what Market Circle does with Daylight. And I think the case for Daylight is that it's a Mac-only app, and it looks like it. You know, It gets the love and attention that we as Mac owners want on our apps. And it's something that you're in day in and day out. I mean, that's one advantage I think you get with it. Uh, I'm all about UI and ease of use. I know those two pretty much mean the same thing. Uh, but it, I feel like... Google Docs and all that, you get a little bit more into the, and I'm not trying to bash Microsoft. There's just more steps involved. I haven't used it recently, but I want a good UI and I'm not really 
sold with the web app thing yet. I'm not really sold with, uh, you know, going into a browser and checking email. I would, I, I hate that. I, I need a client. I need, I need the mail app to do that. Um, I just want something use, uh, easy to use and that I can access anytime. Cause you're stuck in those situations where you don't have the internet when you're on a plane. How do you, can you use Google Docs when you're on a plane? Yeah, and in a very concern. very limited capacity, right? So, I mean, we'll t- uh, hopefully we can talk about this, but Dropbox is my solution to that. Yeah, let's talk about that. What do you use Dropbox for? Um, you'll probably tell me this is really stupid, but I have all of my documents. I mean, everything. In uh, you're talking to two people who have almost all of their documents in Dropbox. Okay, because you know everyone's scared of putting it out on the cloud, and and there's nothing so personal in there that if someone got it. My life would be over, but there, I guess there's enough to cause some real damage. So, I, yes, arguably my stuff is in the – is this the cloud? I, I don't know. On someone else's server somewhere. Yeah. Well, just have a really good password. Mm. Use one password, you know. Yeah. Maybe I should update my password now that I yeah. put that out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. And is change it regularly. The, yeah. yeah, every time the clocks change, I update all my major passwords. And it feels – at least makes me feel – like I'm doing something. Yeah. And you mentioned one password, which I, you know, that's part of my workflow too. My, my workflow is Dropbox, Daylight, one password. Uh, and of course pages and mail and all those things. I, my, I, I'm, I, I just use my computer as a tool. I'm not that creative. I'm not constantly in Photoshop creating things. I, I'm not a writer where I'm constantly in some sort of word processing program, writing things. I just use my computer as a tool, as a productivity tool to get through the day. Well, and that's really what you do. I mean, we haven't talked about it much, but you have a lot of interests and kind of a, a business of many tentacles. You've got the the foundation, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, which does some really great stuff. I I was just reading about. I guess you've got the stem cell center that now is, is that operational now? Yeah, no, that's, it's fantastic. Uh, the Roddenberry, uh, um, foundation, uh, we just recently, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what we do. Um, the Roddenberry foundation, we started about a year and a half ago. And the main idea was to, uh, partner up, work with, or contribute to, uh, cutting edge, innovative organizations out there that are working towards long-term solutions to humanity's problems. And this all came from the idea that, hey, my father created this beautiful, amazing vision of the future uh, where we all work together for the greater good. We no longer fear difference and change. In fact, we embrace it. We crave it. And, you know, we've we've put these other things aside and and we're working to to cure all diseases. We're working to cure hunger. Um, Those are just old concepts because we've all collaborated to, to make them a thing of the past. That vision is something I think all fans not just believe in, but want to have happen. So what I'm doing with the Roddenberry Foundation is saying, here, we're taking the next steps. We're trying to make that future a reality. Now, it may not be that it may not happen tomorrow because these are all long term solutions to problems that we have today. Uh, it might be in 10 years, 50 years, 100 years or even longer. But we're working towards those solutions for the greater good of the planet. Yeah, your dad was right and you're going to prove it. Well, it may not be me. Who proves it? Yeah. Uh, it might be a, a child or a grandchild, but uh, we, we hope to bring bring us a little bit closer to it. Well, and the idea. So you've got the foundation, though you're running, and that you're running that through daylight. Then yes, yes. Okay, and then you've got you're very active with scuba diving as well. Yes, uh, I, I have something called the Roddenberry Dive Team. You know, that's um, 
that's, I don't want to call it just a passion project. It really started as this club. It's a scuba diving club uh, based on the philosophy of Star Trek, although we, ha- we have fun with some of the hooks and gimmicks in Star Trek, like we have uh, Star Trek dry suits and wetsuits and those sorts of things. And, of course, we go out on trips and we call them red shirt dives, where everyone comes <laughs> back, by the way. Um, so, so we have fun with that. Wow. But, but what we try to do is, is really focus on the philosophy, the exploration, the appreciation of our planet, its resources, uh, every event that we have, whether it's diving or not diving, because we cater to non-divers as well. Um, we try to have, I hate to use the word education, but an awareness angle. So if we're diving, we bring along a marine biologist who can tell us a little bit about where we are and what we're doing and why it's important. Or we'll do a behind-the-scenes tour in an aquarium or whatever the case is. We just want people to uh, appreciate the planet more and, and perhaps be exposed to a new idea or a new experience they haven't had before. Yeah, and then you've also got the film production stuff, here, <laughs> like the documentary. Yes, yes. And you, so you can run all of that on your Mac with Daylight, Dropbox, and the tools that you talked about. Absolutely, absolutely. And, it, and not everyone is on it yet, but I do have elements of the foundation, the dive team, my personal life, and productions all all tapping into uh, daylight and dropbox and all that now rod you're you're a pretty popular guy i would imagine um not just in part by your celebrity status but also through all of these organizations that you run and demands for your time are are probably pretty intense and and we appreciate the time you're able to give us today how do you handle all that i mean just besides you know you know scheduling appointments and putting them in daylight but just the onslaught of of requests and information that gets gets thrown at you not very well okay <laughs> um still working on that okay um i think it's really about uh, uh willpower and setting yourself setting goals for yourself and spending x amount of time on emails and x amount of time you know, making sure the calendar works an X amount of time on whatever the current project is. It's, there are so many little, like you just said it earlier, my, my, there's so many tentacles. There's so many things I'm involved in that giving each one enough time is, is, uh, often difficult and not something I'm always good at doing. You've really put your finger on the problem that we all face <laughs> is that, you know, we have now these tools, that this technology offers us and we're trying to use them efficiently to get more done and to be more productive. And sometimes the tools themselves become a very convenient distraction. Absolutely. And, and I, I struggle with it all the time. I feel like this podcast is like my group therapy for it. So don't feel bad because <laughs> I don't think there's anybody that really has it completely figured out. And every time you, th- you do get it figured out, something new and shiny comes along to tempt you even more. <laughs> yeah, no, I have a few people who are very diligent with their emails and they keep their email box pretty much empty. Uh, meaning that the, the emails that come in for that day, they either categorize, they respond, they do whatever needs to be done until their box is empty. Uh, and I'm looking at like 4,000, at least 4,000 in my inbox that still have the blue dot next to them where I'm a little behind on. Yeah. Yikes. And I, I appreciate like you sticking with daylight. And that is in one sense, you not getting pulled by something shiny and new that you've got, okay, we've got this in place and this is how we're going to do this stuff. We're going to stick with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And frankly, the company's evolved a lot. I mean, one of the things I appreciate about market circles, they're, they're frequent attendee at Macworld. So you can go and learn about the product. They also, um, I speak every year at the American bar association. They have a big tech show and you know, the legal industry isn't exactly friendly to the Mac. I mean, most attorneys have no interest in Macs and, 
Market Circle has been attending that. You know, I mean, they're the only Mac vendor in the building. I always make a point of going over and bringing them a Snickers bar or something because, you know, as a Mac guy, I got to like support the team. Absolutely. And, uh, but they, you know, they've evolved that product. So that's in some way you're ahead of me because I, I switch tools very often. And, uh, and just the process of switching tools is such a time sink. I, I shudder to think of all the work I could get done in the time I spend jumping between things. It, that sounds very familiar. That's, and, 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 you know, a lot of this is somewhat an investment. When you get into a program like Daylight or the case is, and you get all your, your contacts and everything transferred, it, it's really difficult to move to something else. I've been tempted and I've kind of touched on, uh, forgive me, a few of the Busy Mac and a few of those other options that go into iCal. Um, but in the end... Don't quote me on this. They just haven't been able to fulfill everything that I wanted it to do um, that Daylight already does. And that the getting anything out of Daylight into that would have been, well, very difficult. Yeah. And, and Daylight, to be fair, is a really a complete solution mm-hmm. where uh, those other apps like uh, BusyCal is a best-in-breed calendar app. Daylight is one that gives you everything in one place. And yeah. those, those apps don't even try to do that. Yeah. Well, I I feel like we've talked around this topic a little bit of 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 we've we've ta- we've hit some of the highlights of of what daylight does in terms of it manages your contacts, it manages your calendars and you can to some degree pull your email in. But I don't think we've talked about I guess for lack of a better word the glue that the part that that brings all of that stuff together and allows it to to work with each other. So, uh can you describe kind of what about that do you like? I mean, is it what about daylight brings together everything and in what way do you use it that it's worked the way that none of the other products have before? Can you, or just maybe give us some examples of things you can do in daylight that you were struggling with for someone who's thinking about why do I need this product? What problem for me can it solve? Sure. Sure. And, and, and these things aren't to say necessarily that uh, mail and iCal can't do them now. Um, they were just not that good four years ago when I transferred. And uh, the, the main thing and not to beat a dead horse is really the sharing. I mean, the sharing of this database and being able to have uh, my my assistant in San Diego and, and mine in L.A. and then someone at the office and then everyone else, you know, being able to say, just look up Bob Smith and them have that, that information there or set an event and invite people to it where they can respond or decline with a response. I think they can do that now in iCal, but anyhow, um, and, and then be able to limit certain things. There's contacts that are my personal contacts that I don't want people to have. And I can set the visibility to not let them have it. Um, so it, I have to say the ability to share the database is the most crucial thing to me. And, and you know, this program, as you guys keep saying, does a lot more than just calendar and address book. Um, you know, you've got projects, which I've tried to use in the past, but to be honest, it, it, it has to do more with my inability to stay organized. Um, and then opportunities, which I'm not sure I know how to use, but groups. I love groups. The idea of groups is you just set uh, contacts within a group, and then you can click on that group and click write email, and it instantly puts an email together to everyone in that group. Um, and then, of course, tasks. I'm a task fiend. Um, I've got a task with hundreds of things on it, which I should probably look at more often, Uh but that is fantastic, and I can delegate these tasks to other people. Um, for example, I mean, something I have to learn how to do in my life is delegate more because I, I feel like I'm the only one who can get it done. Uh, but I can create a task and then delegate it to 
to someone else and say, hey, can you please see if this can be done by Thursday or do you mind making this call or you let me know? And, and it pops up on their computer and says, hey, Rod has delegated this task to you. Can you do it? So, for example, you could have, say, a group of all of the people in Los Angeles who have contributed or, or otherwise affiliated um, with the foundation, and then you could either create an invitation or physical or digital or create mailers or something like that and then have it, you know, just targeted towards that specific group. Exactly. Exactly that. Okay. Exactly that. And there, of course, a lot of features on this that I don't use um, because it's either I don't need it or it's beyond my skill level. But I'll tell you, this thing has saved me so much time, effort, and, and honestly, frustration. Right. You know, not being able to do something when you have a computer in front of you can be extremely frustrating. When you have to go to the app store, you have to try to download something new to see if it can do it. To have one thing in front of you that does just about everything that you need, or at least that I need, uh, is a lifesaver. And how has the uh, how's the iPad and the and the iPhone changed your world? It's funny to think back what things were like before you had them because you don't really realize it and take you pause for a moment until you sit there and, and think, God, what did I do before cell phones? Or I, I know that's cliche, but uh, you know, I remember having my trio and you know, kind of having. I don't even want to call it apps, but not really being able to get on the, oh, before the trio, I had the Palm. I had like the Palm and the Palm 2. And I remember buying this device that let me get on to the, the internet. Um, and it was clunky and it was huge. And, and, it and I'm put, sure it was, was not fast. No, it definitely wasn't fast. And, and then now, you know, you just open these things up and you, you can get right on. I, I live by my iPhone, even more than my iPad. I, I live by my iPhone because there is a, uh, I, I feel like I should be working for Daylight now. There is a, a Daylight app, of course, where you can access everything um, from your database on your phone. So I just need my phone. <laughs> and then, um, go ahead, David. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, you, you start, you get developed to this thing, and you it's almost like you can't remember what it was like before. I used to use a trio, and it just wasn't the same. Right. Right. My tasks, I mean, everything I can run my life off my phone. And I, I think that's the, where the world is heading. I think everybody's going mobile and uh, this traditional paradigm of a desktop computer is going to go away for a lot of people. I, I have to agree. I think so. And I think the phone and all these things will integrate. My, my thought is, is that all your devices will sort of integrate into one central computer or database in the house. And your phone will just be able to access everything, your address book. I mean, everything will be able to, whether it's Apple TV, it's still, it's kind of there, but it's still a little clunky to get things hooked up and synced and make sure your computer and iTunes is open. But I do think all these things will come together. Um, yeah. I'm, I think you're I'm right. Hoping, I'm hoping. I think you're right, but that central computer is not going to be in your house. You're right. Gonna, yeah, you're right. But, yeah. you know, I, I discovered my lust for the iPad watching Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they carried those pads around and, in fact, I did a blog a post on about Max Sparky two or three years before they made the iPad or they announced it saying what we really need is, you know, what Captain Picard carried around. Just this little device that's portable and shows anything you want it to show. Yeah. No, I, I use the iPad. In fact, I, I, I hate to say it. My, my house has a, a, a pretty okay entertainment system. And instead of the uh, remotes, uh, the controllers that they have you buy that cost a fortune – we uh, made the iPads work. And so yeah. we control our air conditioning, our 
our lights, and our entertainment uh, via iPads that are docked in multiple places throughout the house. And you know what's whoa, great whoa, is that whoa. wireless. How do you do that? How do you well, do that? Is, there, is there an app for that or do you have a special? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's that. an app for that. Yeah. Um, well, you. Because I want to do that. Yeah. I, I, I had to hire someone. I am. Okay. I, I think I'm, a, I'm an intermediate to expert um, basic level user. Like I can use just about every application there is enough to be dangerous, but like when it gets into IT or into the hardcore uh, pro applications, I, I'm not so good. So when it came to making this house um, a little bit more automated, I had to hire someone. Yeah, if you're going to wire your curtains and your lights to an iPad, I suspect you've got somebody in there helping you out. Yeah, they, they had a panel though at um, MacWorld last year about automating your house and some of these components and things in ways that you can kind of do it on your own. So it's not as integrated, I think, as the system I have, but they do have options for anyone can you, who's um, interested. Can you give us some, like the, the um, product name of the product that you use or the app that you use? So we absolutely. can put it in the show notes. Absolutely. A Crestron is uh, one of the, the, the high end um, uh, it's software, hardware devices out there. Uh, it integrates into a lot of different AV components and home systems. And, of course, they have components that you can plug into your air conditioning units to make that all uh, sync up to it. It is, I believe, one of the higher end, if not the highest end or one in terms of cost. Okay. So uh, I, I certainly didn't choose it for that. You, you, you kind of choose your installer, and then they bring in the components. And so that's what they chose to use. And, you know, it, it works well. It, it works very well. So you it's, can you can do stuff like before you get home, you can say, turn on my thermostat, turn up my thermostat. Absolutely. We have a, 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 turn the a home on. and away mode, which does exactly that. It's sort of a, a macro of, of air conditioning and lights and everything. So when we come home, we can hit home. And when we go away, literally at the front door, I, I hit away and the air conditioning goes on power save. All the lights go out, shutters go down, make sure all TVs off, you know, all entertainment's off. And uh, so... It's, I love my gadgets. I'm, I'm definitely a, a geek gadget kind of guy. In fact, you've heard of the cutting edge of technology. Well, you've also, I'm sure, heard of the bleeding edge. I am that guy who buys all the products first, the first one that comes out, and then sits there complaining that they're not working. I beta test everything regardless of whether the product's beta or not. You can't help yourself. I can't. It's, it's a disease. It's a sickness. <laughs> You don't feel bad about it. It's cool that you can run your whole house on your iPad, frankly. Yeah. Anyone out there wants to buy something, you should probably, and you think it's, you know, if you should or shouldn't, talk to me. I I probably just bought it, and I probably can give you some really good reasons why you should or shouldn't. Yeah. I I had to run the beta of of the iOS 5 and and Lion because I was writing a book about it at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm just off the beta, you know, treadmill. This recently now, I don't have any Apple products on any betas. And it is such a relief because it's always such a pain when you run those things. <laughs> and, and you can't complain about it. Whenever people complain about running betas, I tell them they're crazy because you're running a beta. So, yep, yep. you know, it's not supposed to work. I mean, it's, but at the same time, it, it is a relief when you kind of get off that train and you can just use the stuff and it, it exactly. generally works. Okay. Before we go on, I want to talk about our exclusive sponsor, Smile Software. Again, Katie, you know, we've talked about how I use PDF Pen in my day job. Uh, one thing we haven't really covered in detail, though, is how you can apply digital signatures to documents with PDF Pen. Um, I think it's a really great feature. Have you ever played with this? I do this all the time. This is, you know, 
This is how almost how I sign almost all my documents that I get by PDF now. Now, so PDF Pin has the built-in tools to add your signature to a PDF and everything you need. So all you have to do is take a piece of paper and sign your name to it and run it through your scanner. And once you do that, you go in PDF Pin. They've got a uh, insert there, and you can put in your signature. And you can even take the, uh, the background out. There's a command under the edit uh, uh, menu that says make the image transparent. And so it's a little dropper. You drop it on the background. It removes everything except just your signature. So then when you put your signature in on the dotted line, you can actually see the dotted line underneath. And if that's not enough, once you get there, then you can add your signature to the image library in PDF Pen. And, uh, you know, this is a security question. So if you don't want to have your signature built into a piece of software, you shouldn't do that. But I do it. And um, so on my uh, Mac, which is encrypted, uh, I have my signature, so I can just drag it into a document very easily. Um, I think PDF Pin really does this the best of any of the PDF apps, and I use it all the time. In fact, I use it when I sign contracts with Smile Software. <laughs> that's, always, kind of that's always that's always funny. Kind of fun. I, I have two tips to add to this. Um, one is that you know, kind of for a little security reason, and secondly, just so I know, because sometimes the, the signatures that I've done are so good that you don't know that they're they're signatures that you place with PDF Pen. When I did this, I signed my name slightly differently than I normally do, and, and maybe a little neater, actually, um, so that I know, ooh, that's my PDF pen signature. So I know when I signed a document, when it was with my digital signature with PDF pen. Um, and the other thing is, in addition to dropping my signature into PDF pen, I also dropped my initials, because you would be surprised or how many contracts, you probably wouldn't be surprised, not only need your signature, but you also need to initial here, 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 and here. So I also did, um, when I was scanning in my signature, I also did a little snippet for my initials as well. I also uh, did the same thing with just my first name. So oh, when yeah. I want to be cool and hip and maybe drop my first name in an email or something, I can do that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, you can do it all with PDF Pin or PDF Pin Pro. Uh, it's $60 for PDF Pin for Mac in the Mac App Store. $100 for PDF Pin Pro. And with that extra money, uh, PDF Pin Pro gives you the ability to create your own fillable forms, which is pretty nice. And it gives you the ability to index it with basically a table of contents, which is something I use all the time. I love yeah. that feature. You can also convert a website into a multi-page PDF with PDF Pen Pro. And I've used that before when I needed to slurp down a website, either to read it later or um, our own website when I was doing some edits and wanted to analyze it. I was just talking to a guy the other day. He's a switcher and he was complaining. He said, you know, I really like my Mac experience. My only, you know, grudge is I don't want to spend $400 on Adobe, you know, Acrobat. Yeah. And I said, oh, guess what? You're fine. You don't need to. We can fix that for you. And so I sat down with him and talked about what he does. And he doesn't really need the extra features of PDF Pin Pro. So, uh, you know, for 60 bucks, he was in and he loves it. You can find PDF Pen Pro either from smilesoftware.com or it's available in the Mac App Store. And as with all of their software, you can download a free trial from their website and it has a 90-day money-back guarantee. So for any reason you don't like it, you can return it, but I am guarantee and so do they that you will. Um, so check out PDF Pen Pro, Disk Label, Text Expander, and all the other great software that they have to offer over at smilesoftware.com. And thank you again to Smile for exclusively sponsoring this episode of Mac Power Users.
Hey, one other note on Smile Software is we're going to be at their booth at Macworld. That's right. We are going to be at their booth at Macworld. We are going to be there on Saturday uh, at 3 p.m., I believe. Yes. So come by and see us and meet some of the nice people from Smile at the same time. Yeah. So while we're kind of on that topic, I had someone at Macworld a couple of years ago ask me this question, and I'll and I'll throw it out to you. But what what are like your your little Mac gems? You know, not Daylight, not Word, not Pages. You know, not these big Mac apps, but like these little apps on your computer that you just can't live without. And that you know, if you went out and bought a new Mac tomorrow, you'd you'd be installing them right off the bat. That you you know these little shareware or, or um, you, you know it. small developer apps. What what. What do you have to have installed on your Mac and how do you use it? Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, all right. We already talked about it, but one password. I cannot okay. survive without one password. I probably literally couldn't survive without one password since I don't know any of my passwords and they're all in there. That's a good um, point. <laughs> uh, you know, I love the App Store, but that's not exactly what you're asking. Um, well, it's just, it's the gateway. It's the gateway drug. Yeah, I, I, it is a gateway drug. I, I, every time I'm looking for something, I say, oh, I wonder if there's an app for that. And I go in and I, I pretty much find it. I'd say 80, 85% of the time. Um, I use, uh, where did it just go? Caffeine. Uh-huh. Caffeine is a go-to for me. It puts a little uh, like empty coffee cup in the corner that when you click on, it turns black like a full cup of coffee. It'll prevent screensavers. It prevents sleep. Um, you can set a duration for it if you want, but I just have it on because so many times I come back to my computer after wandering about and it's, you know, it's in screensaver mode or it's, in, it's, it's, you know, I have to get back into it, which is a pain in the butt. And I still don't understand when you're copying something or installing a file, why your computer still goes into uh, screensaver mode or will go to sleep. That, that, that still drives me crazy. So I keep caffeine um, close by often. And, and, you know, caffeine is great if you're giving presentations as well, because sometimes when you're giving a presentation, if you're talking, you don't advance the slide fast enough. The last thing is you want is for like your family photos to pop up. Exactly. Exactly. It's also useful for podcasting, frankly, you know, when you're sitting here recording, sometimes the screen will start to dim on you and I, I run it. That's one of the things I do on my checklist before I hit the record button for this show. It's almost an on and off for me. When I wake up in the morning, come down to my computer and turn it on or whatever, wake it up, I, I turn on caffeine and I don't really turn it off until I leave. Wow. And that now I've given my com- my computer permission to do whatever it wants to do, go to sleep, whatever. Okay. What else you got? Uh, what else do I have here? File Shoot. File oh, yeah. Shoot is my, one of my favorite apps of all time. I've been using it for years. I don't know if there's an alternative out there right now, but it lets you send files of just about any size to anyone. Um, you, you do have to upload it, but a great, it's got a great UI. So, and it uses your .Mac account or, uh, I don't know the other options. You guys probably know them more, but if you've got a, a, an FTP server or a .Mac account or whatever, iCloud, whatever they're calling it these days, you can just sort of quickly register that. And any file you drag into the little icon, um, will upload to that and it'll instantly give you a URL. And if you double click on that URL, it opens up your mail, puts that URL in it, and you can send to your friends, hey, I've uploaded this movie file. Check it out. And uh, they can get the, the whatever you send them. Yeah, it's a, it allows you to send really big files really easily. And you can use it with various uh, storage solutions, including .Mac, although that's going away, you know. So you'll yeah. have to hook it up to something else sooner or later. But the uh, And it's drag and drop. You just put the file there, and once it's done uploading, then it sends a link, a uh, downloadable link. You could also do that with Dropbox sharing. There's some other ways to do it as well. But, you know, 
you found in this case, and again, a very good Mac solution. You know, it's Mac developed and it's got a nice user interface and it gets out of your way. Yeah. The, the fewer the steps, the more I like something. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is that. I mean, I, I, I equate that to a good UI, but the fewer steps that you need to use, uh, the happier I am with a product. Um, growl voice. I don't know if you've heard of growl voice. If yes. uh, you're a Google voice user, which I am, uh, this is a little icon that stays at the top of your window. And if you have a, a Google voice account, all your text messages and voicemails just sort of pop into this, this pull down window from this icon. And you can also make phone calls and set, send text messages straight from it. So I pretty much exclusively use my Google voice number <laughs> And uh, anytime a text message comes in, I'm at my computer. I just click it and I hit reply and I type in my response so I don't have to use the keyboard in my phone. Um, anytime I want to call someone, I, I click the call button. I start typing in the name and it, and it populates it from someone in the address book. And I choose which line I want it to ring me on. I hit that line and it calls me and it's automatically dialing to that person. Yeah, it's also a good way um, to keep certain numbers private, you know, or, or just to avoid certain numbers. Like for example, I couldn't tell you what my home phone number it is. It's some wacky phone number that I got from the cable company when I got this bundle. Um, and I just use my Google, Google voice number as my, my home phone number. And when I need to make a call, I, you know, make a call through Google voice and have it call my home phone. And that's the number that I give people and it rings my home phone. That's yeah. I, I, that's awesome. I'm, I'm trying to figure yeah. out new ways to use it all the time. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else. I, I'm not going to tell you that when everyone uses that. Oh, you know, well, here's a good one, although I'm not sure if I'm advocating something people shouldn't do, but um, Jaxta, J-A-K-S-T-A, and I'm, I know there's a bunch of applications that do this. Uh, you open this up, and it monitors any website you go to that has video and instantly downloads that video. Uh -huh. So I'm always trying to use reference videos from the internet or from YouTube, yeah. and if that's in the background, it'll just automatically start downloading whatever video, and I think uh, an MP4 format or whatever format and I can now use that. And Jaxta, J-A-C-K-S-T-A? Uh, J-A-K-S-T-A. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's several of those, but I, I think there's a, a legitimate use for that stuff. I mean, when it's free video already, uh, you want to get it to a format that you can use it or watch it later. Yeah, and, and I've pretty much used it for, like, um, keynote presentations. Anytime I just want to play something in the background. I'm, I'm not out there necessarily pirating movies or anything like that. But anytime I need some footage uh, for my presentation, even Star Trek, you know, I'm not going to break out the DVD and try to rip the DVD and get the movie off. I'm just going to go to YouTube or somewhere online and find a clip of it and take it from there. Yeah. Um, well, Rod, you know, you say you're not a, uh, a super geek, but <laughs> the more you talk, the more you're incriminating yourself here. Well, I guess I, I know the stuff that I use. As well as I can. Hey, here's something, if you don't mind me bringing it up. Something that I love is um, screen sharing. Yeah. I, I've got computers all over the house. And, I, you know, I also have a place in San Diego, and I've got computers there. And I screen share into everything. And I, I, sometimes I don't want my processing power on my computer to, to be used. So I'll go in and start using one of the other machines I have here to copy the file, the shared network file to, to another drive. Okay, and it's so fantastic. How do you do that? Well, first of all, I've got everyone. I, I use, uh, um, uh, was it remote? Well, I use basic screen sharing as well. Yeah. So what I do is I have a lot of computers. I go into sharing and I turn on, I've got to remember how to do this. Go into your preferences. 
go into sharing and turn on not just file sharing, but here we go, uh, remote login and remote management. Yeah. And you guys, you're going to have to correct me here because I'm not 100% sure if I'm doing it right or even saying it right. But uh, I also have to go into, I don't, I'm not sure it's going to work now, but mobile me, you can turn on back to my Mac. Yeah. Right. And so as long as you don't have some crazy firewall in between, which does present an issue every now and then, your computer just pops up in the left-hand column. Uh, whatever you've named your shared computer or your, your sharing name for your computer is just in the left-hand column. You click on it and you say share screen. Yeah. So you're just using the basic uh, Mac OS 10 tools. Yeah, uh, you know, I do yeah. use a why not, remote desktop every now and then, but yeah. I just don't need to sometimes. Yeah, no, I think that's especially if you're mainly a Mac shop and presumably using Mac routers, because that makes a difference for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is easy just to use the built-in tools. Yeah, and, and I use uh, the, the iChat component of that for meetings, because you can share a desktop through iChat, and yeah. everyone who works with me... Uh, we have them open up iChat and we share a desktop and that way we'll both be able to control the mouse and click on things. And, you know, Siri, I like this here and I want to change this color here and whatever the case is. Yeah. So, well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we do these workflow shows. We've never really had, I, in my mind, a small business owner on. And while it's fun talking about Star Trek, you really are a, a small businessman as well. Yes. And this is really bringing something to our audience we haven't done before. So I'm glad we did this. Well, hopefully it's of some interest. Hopefully there's someone else out there that's kind of saying, hey, my life is crazy too, and I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe maybe what Rod said will work. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've gone down the road, right? And you've got uh, something that works. And I'm still going down it, for sure. <laughs> well, it's really awesome that you came on our show. And, uh, you know, in addition to talking about geeky Mac stuff, I just want to say that I just think it's it's pretty awesome what you're doing, you know, that there is this vision that Star Trek had and here you are in the real world taking steps to try and bring it up bring it into reality. And uh I think that is a very good use of your time. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's you know, I'm 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 on because I'm a fan of what you guys do. You know, I, I met you guys last year. Um I I'm just a fan of Max. I'm a fan of the Apple community. I'm a fan of the Apple philosophy. Uh, you know, I, I think Steve Jobs was way ahead of his time in the way he was doing things. Um, I, I'm on because I'm a fan. Not, not, I mean, thank you for the opportunity to promote Trek Nation and uh, all the other things. I, I guess I'd get in trouble if I didn't say them all. But if you go to Roddenberry.com, you'll see them all. Yeah. Uh, but I'm really on because I'm a fan. And I think there's a lot of overlap with people who get Star Trek and people who use Macs. I'd like to think so, too. I can't imagine um, a Windows, you know, enterprise in the future. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't. Can I. <laughs> I hope not. Well, they'd, they'd say, show me the Klingons, and you'd see the blue screen, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happens when you have to restart the enterprise. <laughs> Every time you go to warp. Oh, it crashed. Well, you're going to be up in Macworld. We, we this would year, all right? be assimilated, that's for sure. That's right. Yes, you're going to be up in Macworld. So if anybody sees you, they should say hi for sure. Yes, please do. And um, and uh, I definitely look forward to seeing you up there. We'll have to to get together while we're there. And Absolutely. If you have any questions about what Rod does, and and it really is some amazing work he's doing, it's at Roddenberry.com. Yeah. And I don't know. Are you still selling the red uh, the red dive suit? You know the red. Uh, yes, we we still have some of those. We still have red uh, dry suits. Um, yeah, so, and, and so if get, you're going to go scuba diving and you want to be the guy in a red suit, you got to go to Roddenberry.com to get yourself one. 
Yeah, I, I got to say, if there are any scuba divers out there, or anyone who's passionate about the ocean or, or planet, uh, please uh, check out RoddenBraidDiveTeam.com. I'm going to go through all my plugs here. Um, yeah, please. please do. Anyone who's interested in knowing you know, what we're doing in terms of trying to bring the, the vision that my father created of the future closer to reality, please check out the Rodden, RoddenBraidFoundation.org. Um, and, of course, all entertainment-based things that we're working on. Uh, and there's a lot more than just Trek Nation. Uh, there's a, a new one, a short film that we're doing uh, that we've actually just completed uh, using a 360-degree camera. It shoots 360 degrees, not 3D, just all around you. And that was a, a major hurdle to try to get that done. And I've got to give credit to uh, uh, Tori Mel and Trevor Roth um, for really keeping the creative side of Roddenberry going uh, in that respect. So that, those are my plugs. Well, I told you this at Macworld, and this is probably really boring to the listeners, but I was in, in Maui on vacation several years ago, and I, I've always wanted to scuba dive my whole life. It's, I've just always wanted to. So I finally decided, you know, I'm 40 years old. I'm going to do this. And I did a, a buddy dive. We only went down about 50 feet. And right. um, there were these turtles down there on this reef. And it was, for me, a life-changing experience. I mean, it just That's it awesome. gave me a whole new perspective. And boy, I, if I had time and if I lived in Hawaii where the water's always warm, boy, I think <laughs> I'd be in there every day. It's just amazing. Yeah. For any, anyone out yeah. there who's, who's listening and, you know, really has an interest in exploration, you know, it might, it might be a Star Trek fan, but also really wants to explore the world, explore life. And as corny as it sounds, see real aliens. Um, you can do that beneath the sea. It's uh it's an amazing opportunity, and all you have to do is call your local dive shop, and they'll do it at your pace. This is nothing where they throw you in with a bunch of lead in a tank of air and say, have fun. Uh, this yeah. is, they take training very seriously, and um, it's all done uh, to make sure you're comfortable with what you're doing. Yeah, I wanted to scuba dive so much that when I was a kid, I dove to the bottom of the neighbor's pool with the garden hose. Oh, and dear. I got a lesson in pressure. Uh-oh. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work out so well for me. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, great having you on, Rod. Can't wait to see you next month at Macworld. And um, let's keep in touch. And, uh, and once again, if you haven't seen it, go see Trek Nation. Uh, it's on TV and DVD shortly. It's just an excellent show, even if you're not a Trekkie. My wife watched it with me. And she's, she's not a Trekkie, but she really got a lot out of, of watching you on your journey. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And if anyone out there is wondering what the heck this Trek Nation stuff is and you really couldn't care, go to treknationmovie.com. Check out the trailer. Uh, if the trailer doesn't interest you, that's cool too. But uh, it'll at least tell you a little bit more about what this is and it might hopefully, uh, well, interest you a bit. All right, Rod. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, David. We have a lot of feedback um, to cover from our previous episode. We've got feedback both about uh, web security, about iTunes match, and then a couple of other random things uh, strewn in. But one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about generally, because we got some general feedback on it, is is practicality versus security. And you talked about that a little bit in the show when you were you know, maybe slowing George down a little bit and said, hey, 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 now consider somebody's driving down the 405. What are they going to do? But, you know, it's, it's, it's a scary world out there. And, you know, you can't protect yourself from everything. Um, where do we strike the common balance, you think? Well, I think everybody makes their own balance. The The point of that show really was to get the information out there so you can make an informed decision. You know, a, a good example is the, the remote access question. 
I mean, George talked a lot about how if you're at Starbucks, there's a way to tunnel home and use the internet essentially from your home network and do that in a secure way so you don't have the types of problems you can get. And, you know, I yeah, through a VPN. Yeah, and I, I'm just not willing to do that. It's it's just too much of a pain. So right. my solution is, you know, I pay 20 bucks a month to um, AT&T and I have a 3G uh, hotspot on my phone. And when I go in Starbucks, I'm happy to work in Starbucks. Uh, although I have my questions about how much of a productive place that really is when you work in those public places. But anyway. I've never found it to be sp- very productive for me, but I get distracted very easily. Yeah, but I mean, I do find myself there on occasions um, or where I'm with the kids or whatever. Uh, I uh, I just you know hook up the 3G hotspot and I don't worry about all that stuff. And I think everybody has their own version of that. But I really am glad we did that show because I think George is a smart guy and he did a good job of getting it out there about what what works and what can get you in trouble. So at least you can make your own informed decision. But I agree that not everybody's going to need all that protection and some people will. Well, and I think there are a couple of easy things that you can do at a minimum, um, you know, to give you a basic level of protection and then you can decide where to go from there. You know, I mean, your your email should always be running through SSL. You should always be aware of what Wi-Fi hotspots you're connecting to and where you are and what information you're sending on Wi-Fi hotspots. You should always be aware of whether your data is being encrypted or not. You should always be aware of um, whether you're really on the website that you think that you are on and whether you're getting certificate errors or whether that little like lock icon is is up there in your in your web browser. So there are certain things that I think everybody should have a base level of awareness from. And then depending on your circumstance and your situation, you can go forward from there. I do think everybody should really do is, is just apply open DNS at home. It's just so easy. That's an easy it, one. Yeah. It seems like, and if you haven't done it, I get it. You know, it sounds like, Oh, that's a big deal. I got to go into my router and change some settings. Uh, you know, David, I, I need to do a screencast or something on this because I just set it up for my parents at my parents' house. Um, and, and they were shocked. I, I brought them into the room when we did it and I said, okay, we're going to sit down at the family iMac at my parents' house and we're going to do this. And we actually did it, you know, one morning it took about, it, it took less than, less than 20 minutes because we, and it took that long because I sat down and I explained to them step-by-step step exactly what we were doing. And these are the options. And, you know, it took that long because my mom and dad had a little bit of a disagreement as to exactly what they wanted to filter, but you know. Okay, wait At least a second. They understood it. I, that's one of the things we wanted to do for 2012, right? We're going to add screencasts to our show. Oh yeah. And one of the things we thought we'd do is, uh, you know, we could do some big screencasts like I did on OmniFocus last year, which was fun. But we were also thinking, why not add short ones when we talk about something that needs a little bit of a technical demonstration? So I think, Katie, this is an opportunity. Can I just say, I, look at the show notes, and there's going to be a screencast, and you can click it and see how we set it up? Um, yeah, but why, why don't you give me a little time on that? So how about you watch the website for a screencast? Okay. We'll, we'll do a short screencast and open DNS together, and um, you can see how easy it is to set up. But it, it really doesn't take long. And for that, you get um, better DNS service, and you get the ability to turn on filters. And uh, maybe it's because I'm a dad. I'm not sure if I'd be as hung up on this if I didn't have kids in my house, but it's just so easy for them to stumble into porn. I uh, I really like open DNS. Well, I tell you what, I'm I'm a single person living alone in my house, and I've got certain filters on on my web browser. Number one, because I don't want to accidentally stumble onto something, and number two, I don't want you know guests on my network to be doing things. Not that I think that they 
you know, people that I invite in my home and give my password would be doing things. It's, you know, and if I ever have a problem, I can go in and adjust them. And I, I tell you, I've never had a problem. Okay. So, all right. That was a long bit of follow-up, but I think the rest will be pretty quick. We also got some email from listeners following the interview with Horace Deju about t- some TED Talks about technology and storytelling. The best one uh, pointed us to Joe Sabia, S-A-B-I-A, um, who did a TED Talk entirely using his iPad. And it's really fascinating if you watch it because he was using the Photos app and he was using you know the Google Earth app. And it, it, he did a great job tying it all together. I thought it was really an interesting presentation given without any presentation software. So I'm going to put that in the show notes and it's worth checking out if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, moving on to our iTunes match feedback, we got a bunch of people who wrote us. And, you know, David, we talked about that issue where you had the Glee playlist showing up in your iPhone and then they had the jazz playlist showing up on their computers. And that happens when you share a common iTunes match account. But one of the ways that you can help avoid some of this uh, cross-pollination of, of music playlists among family members who have very different uh, iTunes tastes or music tastes is to put your playlist amongst different family members in a folder and name those folders for each family members. And so although those folders will show up on the Mac and iOS devices, um, you know, you can kind of selectively go in and out of your folder and you've got, you know, less opportunity for someone to go in and mess something up. Yeah. I'm I'm sometimes wondered, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sometimes reminded of how stupid I am. And this one definitely did that because how come I didn't think of that myself? Uh, But I set it up. We have folders now and, uh, there's a lot less cross-pollinization of playlists, which is good. Good. Um, although You don't want that, that Glee stuff interfering with your jazz. I did make one called, uh, a playlist called Make Dad Hip, and I'm telling them to put in some pop music for me. And the very fact that I called it Make Dad Hip, I think, means that I'm not capable of being hip. But either way, I'm getting some new music. Right. Kind of fun. Cool. So that's kind of an interesting thing that I never had happened before we shared all these playlists. Um, I look forward to seeing how that turns out for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, we also got a lot of email feedback about uh, us being so anal retentive about backing up your library before you did the iTunes match and backing it up after and backing it up in the middle. And people saying, hey, I don't understand why you guys are making such a big deal about backing up your libraries. This isn't the whole point of this that you know they're backing it up for you in the cloud. And if anything, it should be less of a problem now. And I guess in theory, there's some truth to that. But I think when you do a podcast to 100,000 people about something, uh, you want to make sure that they've backed up. And uh, I think, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be the one getting the email. I don't want to be the one that made you lose your stuff, yeah. So, um, you know, I think we probably overdid that a little bit. But at the same time, I really believe in having a local copy of your iTunes library. And frankly, probably two isn't a bad idea. But that's just me. Well, and 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 there are a couple of different takes on this. First, we did get some feedback from Justin uh, who wrote and told us that he used what we're calling, I guess, the Snell method, which is where you match the songs in your iTunes library, you create a fancy playlist, you delete the songs, and then you re-download the match songs from iTunes Match so that you upgrade your lower bitrate songs to the higher bitrate songs. And he noticed that in several instances, um, songs that he had were replaced with different, um, for example, like radio edit versions of the songs so that he was getting songs that had um, cuts in it and in different mixes and different edits of the song. 
Um, and in some cases you may be okay with that. And in some cases you might say, wait a minute, this is not the song that I, that I wanted. This is not the song that I thought I had. And he was very glad that he had his backups that he could go in. And when he found a song that he did not like the version that iTunes downloaded could replace it with his original version. I don't know how much of that um, is going to be a, a widespread problem. I don't know how much of that is just because iTunes is still a beta. I admit I have not gone through and listened to all the, the, the thousands of tracks that that iTunes matched for me because I don't know. I mean, my my music library is is pretty vanilla and, and pretty non-eclectic, so I would think that my matches would, would probably be pretty easy to do. I I don't know. But there's one reason is you may not get exactly what you thought you had before when you matched. Um, and the other reason is that I found that songs that I have actually bought from iTunes are now no longer available in the iTunes catalog. So if you're relying on iTunes match as your sole method of backup, uh, you know, you may find that there's some inconsistencies and I don't like relying on cloud backup for something that is totally and completely and utterly out of my control. I mean, this is just a backup method that is just out of my control. That so, just so that's my take on it. I just it's just so often that backup is a problem for people that um more often than not. I mean, we've talked about the horror stories on prior shows and uh, so I'm always going to recommend people back up things because it's just it's just so terrible when you lose data. Especially when we've got all our pictures and our lifetimes essentially on these computers and if you're just relying on the one drive to hold all the stuff and assuming that's going to exist forever, you're wrong. Right. But I will agree that having iTunes match versus having nothing is better than nothing. Yeah. Absolutely. And maybe I went overboard on it. Soon. We had a, a lot of people um, call in and uh, or not call in. We had a lot of people write in and recommend Audiobook Builder, which is a program that I had in my uh, my uh, app directory and completely forgot about when talking about the iTunes Match Store. And George from Tulsa brought this to our attention. And you know, we talked about when getting ready to match. One thing that you should do is is really clean up your audiobooks and convert your audiobook tracks into real audiobooks. And Audiobook Builder is, is very inexpensive. It's $9.95 for a single license or $14.95 for a family license. And you can either rip CDs directly into the real audiobook format, you know, bookmarkable with artwork and chapter breaks and um, so many options that you can select. And it will put them in iTunes correctly as an audiobook. Or if you've got audiobooks that you've ripped from CDs or gotten from other sources, you can pull those into Audiobook Builder, and it will reconfigure them and recompile them for you um, into a true audiobook. So I was able to clean up my library significantly uh, with Audiobook Builder because, you know, some books, especially if you've ripped them from CDs, because I used to have a ton of books on CD when I back in the days when I was traveling quite a bit for work, um, and all I had was a CD player in my car, I would, I would collect audiobooks. And I would just have thousands of tracks in my iTunes library of you know, CD one, you know, track A through J, you know, CD two, track A through, you know, whatever. And uh, just go from there. And Audiobook Builder was able to clean that up quite a bit. So um, that might be worth looking into. Yeah, I've still got a bunch of the Jim Dale Harry Potter tracks. Oh, those are wonderful. Yeah, well, I, well, I bought the CDs when the books came out. And uh, that's hundreds of tracks in my library. I need, to, I need to apply that myself and get that sorted out. Those are wonderful books. I, I listened to those when I was when I was traveling for work quite a bit. Um, I got I've received several emails about the iPad at Work show and people asking about the writing workflow about after I submitted the stuff to the publisher. 
you know, because I had to move it to Word, and they said, well, what what did you do at that point? You know, did you get it back in Scrivener? And sadly, I didn't. You know, once the thing went to Word, uh, I, it was stuck there because we were tracking changes in Word, and you know, you know, Wiley's system doesn't work with that. You know, it's it's an old publisher, and they use the old processor. You know, so uh, at that point, I was stuck in Word. I you know. I wasn't going to put that in the show notes, but I've received about three or four emails on it now, so I thought I might as well talk about that. So that's it, Katie. Yep, that's going to gonna wrap us up on our feedback. Um, so what's new for 2012? Uh, lots. We're going to be increasing production, so uh, expect more Mac Power users. We've got some great guests already lined up for workflow shows, and we've got some great content shows lined up. I'm looking forward, even in January, some of that we've, just the stuff we've got this month is going to be pretty good, I think. And um, so we're increasing production means we've got some ad slots available. If you're interested, send us an email. And uh, I'm looking forward. I think our show is going to be great this year. I'm very excited about 2012 for Mac Power users. Um, and if you want to find links to anything that we've talked about in this show or any of our past shows, you can find that on our website. That's at www.macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can send an email to... Uh, was it the feedback at macpowerusers.com that gets to us. Right. Uh, we're also on Twitter. The uh, show is at macpowerusers. I'm at Katie Floyd and David is at Mac Sparky. Yes. And we have a Facebook page. Yeah. It's a uh, facebook.com slash macpowerusers. Uh, we love comments. It always helps get our show in front of new eyeballs. So please uh, leave comments if you feel generous. Yep. And thanks to our sponsor for this show, Smile Software, the exclusive sponsor of the show. We appreciate them very much. Yeah. And uh, next episode, we are going to talk about the great browser wars. We're going to talk about all the different web browsers that are available on the Mac, the pros and cons, uh, some plugins, and how you can use them more efficiently. So I'm looking forward to that episode as well. All right. We'll see you then. 